Uh, Andy Wildman uh, has been going through a series on pandemic life, and so he asked me um, as uh, one of my duties here is, is as the, uh, the family pastor, and so he asked me to speak on families in the midst of a pandemic. And so, as you can imagine, I immediately knew what passage of Scripture that I wanted to preach from because it just sort of goes without saying. In fact, I, I don't even need to tell you what passage immediately comes to mind. It's just so, so obvious. Uh, when we're thinking pandemic and family and Scripture, it's, it's just right there in front of us. And so, if you would, please turn to Leviticus. Leviticus 23, because I knew that's what you were thinking, wasn't it? You, you knew, Leviticus 23. So, so obviously, um, I, I'm, I, I at least amuse myself. Um, uh, there, there's no obvious passage in Scripture that speaks to pandemic life and how it affects families. There's nowhere in Scripture where we find um, it written that, um, that, that, that when you're trying to set your kids up on a Zoom call and the, for school and the password keeps failing even though you've checked it repeatedly, that, um, that, that you're just praying for grace. Like, we don't find that. Uh, as unto the Lord, let peace reign in your hearts as you try to, to navigate online schooling. Like, we don't find that in Scripture anywhere. Right? Nowhere in Scripture does it say, uh, with thanksgiving, receive the grace of God unto yourselves as you allow your kids extra screen time as unto the Lord. We don't find this type of language. Um, and, and yet we know that the pandemic has had a, a tremendous impact on all of life and especially for families. I think we feel it. And uh, one of the ways that we first and foremost experience, I think, the, the effects of the pandemic upon our families is, has to do with our rhythm, the, the rhythm of, of family life. And all of rhythm right now, ever since we entered this sort of weird twilight zone of this lockdown, all of, all of life looks different. Our um, you know, kids are no longer going to school. They're staying at home and doing school online. Mom and dad may or may not be going to work. Uh, we don't go shopping. We don't go to restaurants and, and have food there. We have to get takeout. We, we don't um, go to the movie theater anymore. All these patterns of life have been disrupted. And so if you can imagine that, that is, in one sense, that life sort of used to sound something like this. There's a rhythm to life. And it just sort of kept coasting along. And maybe if your life was a little bit more hectic, it was more like, you know, a little faster. But, but there was a rhythm to it. But now, as everything has been disrupted, it, it feels much more disjunct. Or, or maybe actually it's, it's actually sadder and, and, and more monotonous than that. It's just sort of every day sort of sounds the same. And it matters, right? Our, our rhythms matter. Rhythm is, is important for us as individuals, but also as families. It's part of how we make sense of life. It's how do we frame life. And so you, you think of it this way, that if, if I play these notes for you, I can play those notes and you immediately know that uh, we're playing Jesus Loves Me. And it's immediately apparent to you. But if I take those same notes and I take away the rhythm, or I give you the wrong rhythm and I play it again, same notes. Now, you might be able to sort of piece it out. You can kind of hear the sound, but, but, but Jesus Loves Me isn't Jesus Loves Me anymore. The song isn't what it was intended to be. See, without the right rhythm, then the notes lose their meaning. You can play all the right notes, and yet the song isn't the song that it was intended to be. 
And it's the same in our, for us as well in our lives, that even if we're playing the right notes, with the wrong rhythm, our, our songs aren't what we intended them to be. They're, they're, they're not what they were meant to be. Now, maybe that sounds kind of abstract, this idea of rhythm, but, but it's actually incredibly real. It's absolutely concrete. It's real. Uh, you are a rhythmic being. God has built rhythm into how he has made you. Now, understand, that doesn't mean that you have rhythm. I've seen some of you try to clap on a Sunday morning. That, that's not what this means. What it means, though, is that, that God has built, as he, as he formed you, as he created you, the very essence of what it is to be human, there's rhythm in your physical body, even. Uh, think about this, that, that in you right now, almost the very center of your physical being, there is, there is this rhythm. Your heart is one of the most rhythmic instruments in all of creation, and your heart is beating and it's pulsing blood throughout your body. There's a rhythm as this, body, this blood flows throughout you. And it allows you to, to work and to operate and to do all the things that you do. And there's a rhythm to it that keeps you alive. And not only that, but your, your heart actually and your heartbeat actually communicates something about you. Uh, through your heartbeat, uh, doctors can know whether you're healthy or whether you're sick. Based on whether the, the strength of your heartbeat if it's strong or if it's weak, or whether it's consistent or arrhythmic. And not only that, but your, your heartbeat can communicate something about what you're feeling right then. You know, if you're with that person that you find really attractive or sort of flusters you and your heart begins to speed up, or if you're at rest and you're just watching a cooking show or sitting quietly with a friend and your heartbeat slows down. And not only that, but, but the health of your heart and, and really the health of your whole being is in many ways determined and affected by the rhythms of life, rhythms of sleeping and eating and exercise and work and all the rest of it. These rhythms are what keep your heart healthy and keep you healthy. See, we are rhythmic beings, which shouldn't surprise us because God has built into the very fabric of creation rhythm. And we see this uh, in Genesis 1. You don't have to turn there. Let me give you just one example. In Genesis 1.14, it writes this, that God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. And so what we have here is this picture where God creates time and then he divides it into these discernible patterns, these rhythms of seasons and days and years, the, the rising of the sun and the setting of the sun the 24-hour period of, of every single day and, and the annual rotation of the sun, or excuse me, the earth around the sun that creates seasons. And these seasons have rhythms to them as spring moves into summer and summer into fall and fall into winter and on and on, this consistent cyclical rhythm and pattern, yet endless variation. Snowflakes never look exactly the same, right? But there's a rhythm to all of life, to all of creation, and it marks the passages of time and it's part of the rhythm of the created order. And not only is there rhythm in what God has created, but there is rhythm in how God creates. So if you go back again, if you read all of Genesis 1 and into the very beginning of, of chapter 2, we find that Jesus, uh, excuse me, God creates the earth and he does it with this, this rhythm, this pattern of six days and then he rests on the seventh. Six days, work, 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 rest. And God takes that pattern and he, he establishes it as the pattern for all of human life that we work because God works and we rest because God's, God rests. 
And in fact, God is so serious about that pattern that if you remember in Exodus, fast forward a little bit, when God brings his people out of Egypt, when he calls them out of slavery, he gives them this same pattern. He says, this is what it is to be a distinct people. I'm gonna make you look like nobody else and I'm gonna give you this pattern where you will keep the Sabbath. You will work for six days and then you will take the seventh day off. This will be a day of rest, rest the Sabbath. And then from that, he builds the entire religious calendar for the Jewish people. And so finally, we're getting to Leviticus 23, which is, you knew exactly where we were gonna be at this point. So Leviticus 23, verse one, this is what he says. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, these are my appointed feasts, the appointed feasts of the Lord, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. There are six days when you may work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of rest, a day of sacred assembly. You are not to do any work wherever you live. It is a Sabbath to the Lord. So remember that the, the Israelites, they're coming out of Egypt where they were in bondage and slaving, enslaved. And they're, they're working literally every day, no change, day in, day out. And, and so God now, as he pulls them out, he says, that's all going to change. Now you have a day of rest. You're going to look different. This is what it is to be my people. And God doesn't stop with just the Sabbath. If we keep reading, he builds on this seven-day pattern the seven-day creation pattern, and he establishes feasts and celebrations that mark the passage of time, and they create a rhythm of life to be lived day by day, month by month, and year by year. So just follow along with me and read a little bit more here in Leviticus 23. Verse 4, these are the Lord's appointed feasts, the sacred assemblies you are to proclaim at their appointed times. The Lord's Passover begins at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. Notice that Passover starts on the 14th day, the last day of two cycles of seven days. So you're going to hear sevens throughout this passage. God is building on this seven-day motif, the seven-day theme. Verse 6, on the 15th day, so the very next day, that marks the next seven the 15th day of that month, the Lord's Feast of Unleavened Bread begins. And for seven days, you must eat bread made without yeast. So again, we have more sevens. And now an object lesson to remind them when the angel of death passed over their homes, God rescued them from Egypt. That, that as they were prepared to go, they didn't even wait for the bread to rise. They were ready to get out of Egypt as God rescued them. Verse seven. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. For seven days, present an offering made to the Lord by fire. And on the seventh day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. Again, we see this rhythm of rest. Stop what you're doing. Gather for worship. And give an offering for seven days, concluding again with more worship before ever going back to work. And this is the rhythm. Work, rest, offering, sacrifice. Work, rest, offering, sacrifice. Let's read a little bit more. Verse nine. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land, I'm going to give you and you reap its harvest. Bring to the priest a sheaf of the first grain you harvest. He is to wave the sheaf before the Lord so it will be accepted on your behalf. The priest is to wave it on the day after the Sabbath. On the day you wave the sheaf, you must sacrifice as a burnt offering to the Lord, a lamb a year old without defect, together with its grain offering of two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, an offering made to the Lord by fire, a pleasing aroma, and its drink offering of a quarter of a hint of wine. You must not eat any bread or roasted or, roasted or new grain. 
until the very day you bring this offering to the Lord. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come wherever you live. So this is the ordinance that we, that we understand as being the first fruits. Part of the, the first of three harvest festivals for the, the wheat uh, harvest season. And when you were to bring a harvest, before you do anything else, before you do anything else, you take a portion of what you've harvested to the Lord. And this becomes the, the pattern, the rhythm of life. You bring in a harvest. Before you do anything else, you take a portion of it to the Lord and then you enjoy the rest. You bring in a harvest. Before you do anything else, you take a portion of it to the Lord before you, and then you enjoy the rest. This is the rhythm of life. And if we were to keep reading, and I won't, I won't subject you to that, feel free to read along uh, on your own after this. But if we were to keep reading, we would see the same pattern in all of these festivals and ordinances, each of them unique, but like variations on a theme. If we keep reading, we, we find the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost, which separated when, was celebrated, excuse me, when God gave the law to Moses at Mount Sinai. We have the Feast of, Pre, of Trumpets, which marks the beginning of the religious calendar. The Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. Um, this amazing ceremony in which, which there would be two goats and one of the goats would be sacrificed to the Lord. But the other goat, the priest would place his hands upon his, this goat and he would, it, he would symbolically transfer the sins of all the people to this goat and then send it out into the, the wilderness to die. We have the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths, which was to remind the Israelites that once upon a time, they were aliens in a foreign land and they did not have homes of their own. And then you skip over to Leviticus 25, you find the sabbatical year. So the, the Sabbath was for individuals or for families. They would work for six days and then take a Sabbath day. But the sabbatical year was actually for the land itself. It was a whole year, following six years, a whole year where you did not work the land. You simply let it go. And trust whatever the, the land would yield, that's what, you would, that's what you would live off of. And then the year of Jubilee, which was every 50 years. So following seven cycles of seven years, there was the year of Jubilee, which was essentially a giant reset button when all debts were canceled. And all the land that was originally given to families was restored to them. If it had been sold, if it had been purchased, if it had been traded, whatever had happened, it was all restored back to the original owners. And so we have all these feasts and offerings, all variations on the same theme, this, this rhythm of the seven-day creation event. And the question is, why? Why did God do this? What was it? Did he just like festivals? He really liked feasts? I think he does. We get to the end of Revelation and it's a, a giant feast and celebration but I, I think there's something more going on here. Something more that God wants us to see. So think back to a moment with Jesus loves me. And what we said was that if you take the right notes of Jesus loves me, but you give it the wrong rhythm, then Jesus loves me isn't Jesus loves me anymore. That, that without the right rhythm, notes lose their meaning. But we can reverse that and we can, we can say that, that with the notes, when you add the right rhythm, those notes, they change. They're, they're transformed. They're, instead of simply being random sounds, now they become something. They become music. They become a song. If you take those same notes and you put the right rhythm with them, now you have Jesus loves me. See, rhythm is formational. Rhythm changes us. It forms us. If you do the same dance 
to the same rhythm long enough, it changes you. Think of it this way. If, if you have in your life this rhythm where you get up every morning and you read from this book and you spend time in prayer, then you are not the same person you were five years ago and you won't be the same person in 10 years from now. See, our, our rhythms form us. If, if we have rhythms in life of, of exercise, of uh, spending time with our families, of serving others, of prayer, of reading and meditating on scripture, then we will not be the same person five, 10, 20, 50 years from now. But conversely, if our rhythms, if we have rhythms that are only about ourselves, that are only self-serving and abusive to other people, then we, again, this trajectory, we will not be the same people five, 10, 20, 50 years from now, and no one will want to be around us. No one will want to know us. See, rhythm is formational. It, it changes us. And so God, when he brings his people out of Egypt, when he wants to form them into this distinct people who look like him, who reflect him, when he wants to make them distinct and different from all the other peoples of the ancient Near East, the first thing he does is he, he creates this rhythm, this new rhythm for them through all the, the Sabbath and all the feasts and all the festivals and in all variations on the same theme, to work, to rest, to offer sacrifices, Work, rest, worship, offering, sacrifice. Work, rest, worship, offer sacrifices. Right? This is the rhythm that he establishes for them, all interwoven with celebration and remembrance for what God has done. Now, we're still left with a question, though. To what end? I mean, is God just trying to create a distinct people just so that they look different from everybody else? Yes, but there's more to it than that still. See, God wants them wanted them to be a distinct people, but a people who reflected him, to reflected the most essential uh, essence of his character and his relationship with his people. And so embedded in these rhythms, what we find are the two profound truths. They, they resonate in every beat of the rhythm of all those festivals in the Sabbath. Two truths, that God is good and that life is a gift. You hear it over and over and over and over again. God is good and life is a gift. So let, let's think about this for a moment. Most of us um, probably didn't grow up on farms. Maybe you did. Uh, but, but now most of us, most of you who are watching right now, we live in Dallas, uh, the concrete paradise. And, and, and so we don't have any concept of, of growing up in an agricultural society, okay? But just imagine for a moment that that was your world. Imagine for a moment that the only way that you get food on your table isn't to go out to the grocery store and buy something or, or have Amazon send it, ship it to you or a Walmart delivery, but you had to go and you had to work the land. You had to go out day after day after day and to plow and to sow and to harvest. Otherwise, you didn't have food to eat. Can you think of a more concrete way to instruct your heart to depend upon God than to take a day off? I mean, can you think of a, of a, of a more practical way to say, okay, I'm going to depend upon God for the very food on my table because I'm going to take six days of work, but that seventh day, I'm not going to do it. The seventh day is given to the Lord because I'm going to recognize and depend on him, on his goodness and his faithfulness and recognize that all that I have is a gift. Or consider the, the sabbatical year. 
a whole year where you did not work the land and you simply trusted that God would provide through the land. The land would yield whatever you needed. Can you think about what that would do to your heart, how that would train your heart, how that would impress upon your heart the the dependence upon God, trusting that he is good and that life is a gift. Or the year of Jubilee, which recognizes that all this land that you thought you were working, that was a gift all along. Or, or the offerings. When you would bring your offerings again, what is, that, what is that training your heart? What is that teaching your heart? Other than to acknowledge the fact that everything you have is a gift and you give it back to God. You, you can depend upon God because he is good. You can give it back to him freely. Or a, a sacrifice for sin. Recognizing that, that they, they were not worthy of God. And so again, depending upon God's goodness, that he would provide for them forgiveness a means of salvation that they did not deserve. All of these feasts, all of these festivals, all of this rhythm, these variations on a theme, all of them communicating over and over and over again, day after day after day, year after year, the same truth that God is good and that life is a gift. And through all of it, God was forming his people. Day after day, year after year, he was forming his people. He was making them distinct. He was making them look and love differently than all the other nations. Have you ever thought about what your life says about you? Have you ever thought about what your, your life rhythms reveal about you? See, rhythm doesn't just form us, it actually reveals something about us. If, if I have rhythms where I get up and I exercise every single day, every single day, and that's my rhythm, I never miss, and yet I can't remember the last time I spent time in God's word, then what does that say about my heart? What does that reveal, what does that rhythm reveal about me? When, when we have rhythms where, where our kids are involved in every sporting activity and they would never miss, we know exactly when every single practice is. But church, that's whenever it's convenient. What do, what do those rhythms reveal about us? See, rhythm, it forms us and it reveals us. Some of what I think this pandemic has revealed for us, especially with our families, is that a lot of our rhythms have not been healthy. And that a lot of us, we suffer from a, a severe case of the fear of missing out. Um, it used to be that if you were to keep up with the Joneses, it meant that you were going to have all the, the same toys, right? You had to have the right house and the right car and the right golf clubs and the right, whatever that stuff was. You had to have the right things. That's how you kept up. But today, it's all of that, but also it's having the right experiences, the right opportunities, especially for our kids. And this is why when we find out that little Johnny's soccer team is practicing four nights a week, but that other soccer team practices for six nights a week, then by golly, our team had better start practicing six nights a week because otherwise little Johnny is going to fall behind. Little, little Johnny is, isn't going to have the same opportunities that those other kids have. And what we're doing is we are taking those rhythms and we are, we are beating them into our kids. They begin to learn these rhythms, these rhythms that are communicating them that life is not a gift, life is a trophy. And it has to be won no matter what the cost or else you're not enough. 
and it is stressing our kids out or worse. See, what, what this reveals about us, right? These rhythms, what they've revealed about us is that deep down what we believe is that life isn't a gift. We believe that life is a trophy. That life is something that we can attain. It's something that has to be achieved. That life is defined by my success or my failure. And we are teaching our kids to march along to the beat of the world's drum. This, this beat that demands that you create happiness for yourself instead of inviting them to dance to the rhythms of God's grace. And the only way that we learn that dance is to follow Jesus because he's got all the moves. See, don't be confused at all. Don't misunderstand me, okay? The cure to what ails us is not to create new rhythms, you know, Lucas, we're, we're dropping soccer practice. Are you happy? That, that's not my point, okay? See, we can create new rhythms and we can cut back on some of the things that we're doing, but, but all we'll do is we'll take those new rhythms and we'll simply use those rhythms to attain happiness for ourselves as well, to, to strive after whatever it is we're trying to get, right? Those rhythms simply become a means to an end that once again, we're trying to achieve life. It becomes a trophy yet again. This is what happened to the Israelites, God gave them all of these festivals, all these rhythms, all of these offerings and sacrifices, the Sabbath, all of these rhythms that were supposed to instruct them and point them to this truth that God is good and that, that life is a gift. And instead, they took them and they used them. They tried to use them to attain their own happiness. They believed that if they could just do all the sacrifices right and all the festivals right and all the feasts right, then God would bless them. See, they, they used it as a means to achieve their own happiness for themselves. They turned life back into a trophy. And just like that, they were marching back to the rhythm of the world's drum. See, the only way that we can avoid turning life into a trophy and treating life like it's a trophy is if we look at Jesus. Jesus is the living, breathing incarnation of the goodness and the grace of God. It is only when I look at Jesus that I can know without a shadow of a doubt that God is good and life is a gift. See, see all, these, all these festivals and all these feasts and sacrifices that God gave to the Israelites, all of those were actually simply foreshadowing Jesus. They're all pointing to him. They're all fulfilled in him. And Jesus, according to Hebrews 4, it is, it is through him that we receive the true Sabbath rest. We enter into eternal rest, not death, but eternal eternity in the presence of God as through Jesus. He is the true way to, to find rest. Uh, he, he is the Passover lamb. He is the one who takes all of our sins upon himself and he dies in our place. He is the scapegoat. He, he is the one who takes all of our sins upon himself and he is taken out of the camp and killed so that we can stay inside and safe. He, he is the, the once and for all sacrifice through whom we have peace with God. He is the one in whom we find life as we've always wanted it. Songs that as they were always meant to be sung. Life as it was intended to be, not as a trophy, but it's a gift. Jesus is the beat that our hearts long to dance to. 
See, the, the last thing that I want for my kids and the last thing I want for myself or for our family is to buy into the rhythms of the world. To buy into the, the, the tyrannical beat of the world that says life is what you achieve. Life is, is defined by, you are defined by your success and your failure. That life is about what you can accomplish. And believe me, listen, I'm all about accomplishment. I, I want to succeed. I, I want to achieve. And which is exactly why I need these rhythms in my life that redirect my heart and remind me that in Jesus, I am not the sum of my success and failure. See, until we know until we know that we are, are wholly accepted because of Jesus, not because of us, but because of him, then we, will, we are in danger of either being ruined by our successes or crushed by our failures. See, until we know that we are, are absolutely loved in Jesus, we will always be enslaved to the beat of the world's drum. And we will spend our entire lives working as hard as we can to prove to ourselves and to prove to others that we matter, that we're enough, instead of dancing along to the rhythms of God's grace. In some ways, um, as I said, this, this time of pandemic has revealed some of this for us because it's it so upset our rhythms, it's so disrupted them that there's, there's really no choice. We're having to reevaluate some things. And, and in one sense, I would say there's no better time than to reimagine the rhythms that we have. But also I would say there's, there's no more important time to reimagine our rhythms. If we want to be a people and if we want our kids to be people who can face whatever the future holds and we have no idea what's coming, to face whatever the future holds, to know that their hope isn't in a vaccine, that their security isn't in the, the economy, um, you know, getting started again, that their, their identity isn't in their success and failure, but is in the one who died for them. The one who will one day make all this right, who will return and he will, he will establish his kingdom once and for all forever. Right? If, if we want that for them, then we have to show them Jesus. And that, can I tell you something? That is how we combat fear. It's not through the power of positive thinking. It's not through wistfully saying, everything's going to be fine. I'm sure everything will turn out. No, it's when we look at Jesus. He is the antidote to fear. It's when we look at Jesus and we realize that in him, we are wholly accepted and wholly loved. That in him, we see that God is good and that life is a gift. And we remind ourselves of that day in and day out, using the rhythms of faith, dancing along with the rhythms of prayer, of reading scripture, of worship, of eating together and praying together and playing together and talking together and serving together. And when we prioritize those rhythms above the demands of the world, we make those rhythms our priorities, it changes us. It changes us. We will not be the same people in 5, 10, 20 years. It changes us because it keeps bringing us back to these beautiful truths that God is good and that life is a gift. Just look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. So let me ask you, how are your rhythms forming you today? Who will you become if these are the rhythms for the next 20 years? And what do your rhythms reveal about you? What do they reveal about your heart right now and where your confidence is? Do you have rhythms in your life that are impressing upon your heart, reinforcing to your heart that God is good and that life is a gift? Rhythms of grace that will not only, listen, that will not only insulate your heart 
from the tyrannical beat of the world's drum, but also, also give you confidence to face whatever crisis comes your way. Do you have those rhythms? And, and for parents right now, moms and dads, like what are our rhythms teaching our kids? What are our rhythms in life pointing our kids to find their happiness and their joy and their security in the world or in Jesus? See, if we want to show our children a better way to live and to give them the reassurance that is strong enough for any crisis, then we have to show them Jesus. To, to stop marching to the world's beat and instead dance along to the rhythms of God's grace. To follow Jesus because he has all the moves. And he is the beat our hearts long to dance to. Uh, the band is going to come up. We're going to sing. And you hear some rhythm. I hope you'll try to clap along. But this week, I hope you'll consider, what are your rhythms? And when things begin to change, and, and Lord willing, things begin to go back to normal, what will your rhythms be? How will they look different? And what will they reveal about your heart? Father, we, um, we're grateful to you that you are good, and we know that. We're grateful to you that life is a gift because what that means is that it's not something that we can make for ourselves. It's not something that we attain. It's not something that we achieve. We'll only be crushed by that, but instead it's something that we receive gladly. And we know that one day you will give us life eternal, that one day your kingdom will come to rest here on earth. And your will will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And there will be no more tears. There will be no more injustice. There will be no more death. There will be no more disease. And all of that will not because, be because we built it, not because we attained it, not because we were good enough, but because you are good. And life is a gift. Help us to receive it. Lord, it hurts our pride. It hurts our pride. Help us to receive it with open hands. Lord, we love you. Make us look more like you this week. In Jesus' name, amen.